Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you in your journey with Christ. For additional resources, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. What do you do when you come face to face with your failure? As a lot of you know, my wife Rebecca and I, we have three little boys. Judah, our oldest, is three years old. Calvin, the middle boy, is two years old. And Wesley is four months old. And it's a, it's a party in our house, to say the least. And you know, uh, last year, when we all kind of went into lockdown, Cal and Judah kind of went through those really critical phases of early childhood where they're supposed to start you know, developing some social skills, except there weren't any people around. And so our boys kind of came out of COVID like those feral children who grew up in the woods, you know, <laughs> like wolves. <laughs> and, and so that, that's kind of just the situation. And, and I have a fairly public job, you know, and so around town, there's a lot of people who like recognize our kids. They're somewhat visible. And it's not uncommon for people to come up to us and say, hey, like, aren't, aren't you like, aren't you one of the preacher guys at that church on the corner, you know, and, and things like that happen fairly often. Well, last year, on one of the boys' first trips back to the church building after lockdown, Judah gets out of the van, drops his pants, and decides to start watering the church lawn right outside Steve's <laughs> office window. <laughs> and I'm confronted face-to-face with my failure here in this moment as a father, right? <laughs> and I will admit to you that there are those moments when somebody comes up to me and they say, hey, are you that guy? And I want to say, oh, oh Me? Uh, no, and I, I work down at the prison. This is an, uh, one of those escaped convicts. I'm just here to apprehend him, you know, take, take him back to jail. Uh, what do you do when you come face to face with your failure? We all have those moments, right? And some of them are funny, but many of them, many of them are not. And I imagine as you play that high right reel back in your head of some of those failure moments, moments you wish you could have back, maybe just maybe there's the question that lingers in the back of your mind like it lingers in mine. You know, after everything I've messed up, after everything I've done, after who I've become, could, could God still use me? Could God still use me? Hang on to that question for a minute. We're gonna be in John chapter 21 today. As a lot of you know, we've been spending this year, we're calling it a year with Jesus's best friend where we're going through the writings in the Bible of a guy by the name of John. He was one of Jesus's 12 disciples and he records the gospel of John for us, these stories from the life of Jesus. And we call it the year with Jesus's best friend because in the gospel of John, John refers to himself as the one Jesus loved, which is like, if you wrote a gospel, wouldn't you refer to yourself as the one Jesus loved, right? And so we're wrapping up the gospel of John today chapter 21. Next week, we're going to start uh, looking through three letters that John wrote to one of the early churches. But today, today, in John chapter 21, we're going to close out these stories from the life of Jesus by coming face to face with the failure of another one of Jesus' disciples by the name of Peter. But not just his failure. We're going to come face to face with our failures too. And before we jump into chapter 21, we've got to remember where we've been. You might remember John chapter 19, Jesus died on the cross. John chapter 20, Jesus rose from the dead. And so here we are in John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. 
So Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he decides he's gonna go fishing. Now, before we go any further in John chapter 21, we gotta rewind a long ways and get some background on our boy Peter here. Now, like I said earlier, my wife, Rebecca, and I, we have three little boys. And Judah, the oldest, he is 100% boy. And then Calvin, the middle son, he is also 100% boy, plus like 30% tiger, Okay, his middle initial is ADD, okay? And, and he, he's just, this kid, he's just like kind of this ferocious little person and he kind of oozes just charisma and ferocity and he has the willpower of a rhinoceros coupled with the impulse control of a squirrel. You know what I mean? We're just in that face right now. And that's Peter, okay? And, and, and actually, Peter, we see in the Bible, his, his, his name was not initially Peter. He starts off as Simon. That is his birth name. And the Bible gives us this picture of this guy, Simon, as this kind of reckless, unpredictable squirrel mixed with a rhinoceros kind of guy. That's just who he is. And so it's hilarious then that when Simon's brother, Andrew, introduces him to Jesus for the very first time, Jesus looks deep into Simon's eyes. The Greek word there is emblepo. It says he stared intently at Simon, and Jesus says, Simon, huh? Simon was the most common Jewish name of that time. You said, nah, I'm going to call you Cephas, Peter. It meant rock. It meant Mr. Steady, Mr. Dependable, Mr. I can count on you, which proves that Jesus does indeed have a sense of humor, right? Because I'm sure Andrew, Simon's brother, is standing behind Jesus just trying to keep the laughter in right now. Like, do you know who you're talking to, Jesus? That name does not fit. Because we look through the Gospels, and Peter is anything but dependable and, and consistent. We figure out pretty quick, Peter has some very serious impulse control issues. The guy just cannot seem to get his foot out of his mouth. <laughs> but he doesn't start out all bad. we got to give the guy a little bit of credit. If we go back, Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, Peter's out fishing all night. He was a fisherman. He doesn't catch a thing. Jesus comes along and he says, hey, Peter, take your boat out into the deep water. Drop the nets out there. Now, if I'm Peter, I'm probably thinking, listen, buddy, I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter. You do your thing. Let me do mine. But we got to give Peter a little bit of props right here. He says, okay, Lord, because you say so, I will. He drops the net. You know the story. Miraculous catch of fish. It's amazing. And Peter, he, he, he has his wits about him enough to realize that this Jesus guy must be something special. So he falls on his face. He says, get away from me, Lord. I'm way too sinful to be around you. And Jesus says, oh, you ain't getting rid of me that easy. Peter, I want you to follow me. And so Peter, amazingly, he, he, he does. He leaves behind everything he knows. He drops the nets, leaves his job, leaves the boat behind, and he follows Jesus for the next three years. Not too bad, Peter. Pretty good way to start. But then in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, right after this, Jesus is actually staying at Peter's house, and it says this. It says, very early, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So here is the scene. We have the Son of God who's having his devotions. Jesus is having his quiet time. Now, if you keep a list of things that you should never do, interrupting the Son of God while he's having his devotions should be on that list. Peter apparently did not keep such a list because guess who comes barging right into Jesus' prayer closet? Yes, Mark chapter one tells us that Peter interrupted Jesus and he said, hey, 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 Jesus, 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 everybody's looking for you, buddy. No time to pray. You can do that later. The crowds are coming. Great PR opportunity. It's a photo op. Go shake some hands, kiss some babies. Peter has apparently appointed himself as Jesus' campaign manager. And Jesus says, Peter, come on, man. Like, at least let me finish here. 
in my own name, amen. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he said that, you know. But he did say, he said, no, 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 Peter. I'm, I'm not going out there to the crowds. Let's go to the nearby villages so I can preach. That's why I came. And all along, there's these little instances like that where it just doesn't seem like Peter quite understands Jesus's mission because stuff like this just keeps happening. Later on they're, on, they're on the Mount of Transfiguration where it's this great scene. These two people from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, they appear and they're talking with Jesus and Peter just thinks, this is the coolest thing in the world. And so he barges in and he interrupts their conversation, right? And he's like, hey, guys, 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 I've got a great idea. We could build like three shelters up here on the mountain. We could all stay up here together. We don't ever have to go back down. We could just, we could just live here in the moment together. And in and, and Mark chapter 9, I'm not making this up, it tells us that Peter blurts this idea out because he did not know what to say. Now, a normal human being, when they don't know what to say, what do we do? We don't say anything, right? <laughs> like, like we just wait, we gather some more information, and then we decide what to say, but not Peter. This guy doesn't need chapstick, he needs glue sticks. That's what I'm telling you, right? And God the Father looks down, and he's like, man, I should have put a mute button on this guy when I made him, and I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. God actually has to descend in a cloud and say with the voice from heaven, Peter, this is my son. Listen to him, which is God's very nice way of saying, Peter, zip it, dude. I mean, over and over and over again, Peter, he just makes blunder after blunder, mistake after mistake, and don't get me wrong. He does have some highlight real moments. In John chapter six, Jesus preaches this really tough sermon and a bunch of the crowds decide that's too heavy for me and so they ditch. And Jesus looks at the 12 disciples. He said, what about you? You gonna leave too? And Peter, in a moment of brilliance, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We know that you are the holy one from God. Whoa, Peter, <laughs> how'd you pull that out of your hat, buddy? That's pretty good. Matthew chapter 14, Peter decides to literally get out of the boat. He walks on water, eyes locked with Jesus. It's this amazing moment of risky faith, but then he drops his eyes and he sinks. Matthew chapter 16, Peter makes the good confession. He's the first one to coin the line that all of us say when we get baptized. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Pretty good, Peter. But then because he believes that Jesus is the Christ, right after that conversation, he kind of pulls Jesus aside. He says, Jesus, buddy. Listen, son, uh, you, you, you've been talking a lot about suffering and crosses and persecution and dying lately. That's, that's really hard on morale. It's not very good PR. The people are starting to get worried. Could, could you kind of tone that down a little bit? And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan, because you have no heavenly idea what you're talking about. I mean, this guy's a case study on how to make mistakes, right? Now, at this point, I want you to pull out that little piece of charcoal that you got when you walked in. If you didn't grab one on your way in, you can grab one there on your way out. A fellow walked in this morning and said, what's that, jerky? <laughs> Sir, I think you're in for an unpleasant surprise. <laughs> Here's why you were given that piece of charcoal. John, as he's writing his gospel account, he uses the word for charcoal fire two times in the gospel of John. The Greek word is anthrakion. Say that with me. Say anthrakion. The first time the word anthrakion shows up is in John chapter 18. It's on Thursday night, the last night of Jesus' life. He's at the Last Supper, he's in the upper room, and Jesus says to his 12 disciples, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And trusty old Peter blurts out, well, oh, no way, not me, Lord. Everybody else may abandon you, but not me. I die for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, Peter. 
Truly I tell you, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny me, not just once, not just twice, three times. But you know, later in the Garden of Gethsemane, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, and it looks like Peter's gonna be good to his word. It looks like he's ready to go to battle, but little old Peter, he's got the will, but he doesn't have the skill, if you know what I mean. So he draws his sword, and he takes a big old swing at a guy named Malchus, and it's pretty obvious to tell his intent is to just cleave this guy in two. Mal on one side, cuss on the other, right? But he misses, he ends up lopping off Malchus's ear, Jesus, Jesus, Peter, Peter, Peter. Put away the sword. Picks up Malchus's ear, sticks it right back on. But to Peter's credit, all the other disciples, they run away, they bail, but not Peter, not Peter. Peter kind of follows along at a distance behind Jesus and the soldiers. He goes to the high priest's house where they're putting Jesus on trial. And there, when Peter gets to the high priest's house, because he wants to see what's happening to his Messiah, says the servants there in the courtyard, they built a charcoal fire and on Thracheon to keep them warm on a, on a cool spring night. And so Peter joins them there around the fire. And Steve preached on this a, a few weeks ago, you might remember, that there around the fire, a, a servant girl, little girl, spots Peter. Says, you're not one of his disciples, are you? Peter says, me? <laughs> no, no, I, I don't follow him. Another guy pipes up. Oh, come on, brother, with an accent like that. You're from Galilee. You're one of his disciples, aren't you? Peter says, no, 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 no. But then, as, as luck would have it, one of Malchus's relatives was there warming around that same fire, and he says, no, I, I saw you earlier. You were there earlier this evening with Jesus in the garden. You, you are one of his disciples, aren't you? And things around that fire have gotten just a little bit too hot for Peter to handle. His cover's blown, and so he does the only thing that he can think of. He calls down curses on himself, the Bible says. He's literally saying, may I be condemned if I'm in any way associated with that man. I don't know the man, he said. Well, Peter can't make his denial any more emphatic than that. And at that very moment, Scripture says, the rooster crowed. And as it did, I'm sure Jesus' words just came rushing back to him and he turns to look in the house where Jesus is on trial. And at that moment, Jesus locks eyes with him. And the Greek word there is emblepo, same word used for when Jesus saw him on the first time on the seashore. And he looks directly into Peter's heart and Peter is just shattered. He's destroyed. And he can see Jesus' swollen and bloodied face, but by the look in his eyes, Peter knows that none of the blows from the soldiers that evening have hurt him as badly as what Peter has just done. And the Bible says that Peter ran off into the darkness, overwhelmed with guilt and grief. It says he wept bitterly. Let's call that first fire the fire of failure. The fire of failure. You've been there, haven't you? I've sat around that fire before. We know the feeling, don't we? We we know the guilt and the grief and the bitter disappointment of having good intentions and yet failing to meet them. We know the taste of failure, don't we? Because you've lied. You've cut other people down. You have lost your temper. You have gossiped about a friend. 
stolen money. You've filled your mouth with obscene talk. You have filled your heart with ungrateful attitudes. You have filled your eyes with unclean pictures. You have neglected those in need around you. You've thought only of yourself. You've patted yourself on the back with pride. You've greedily coveted the things that others have. You've sinned. You've failed. So have I. We've sat around this fire before, haven't we? Let's not brush past that. Because sometimes we rush a little bit too quickly to grace. We can minimize our sin. We all say, oh, you know, no, nobody's, nobody's perfect. It's all right. I mean, I, yeah, I shouldn't have done it, but it's, it's no big deal. Let's move on, forgive and forget, right? And, and we give our failures just, just lip service. Yeah, I know, I, I shouldn't have done that. But, but we keep on sitting right there in the middle of our sinful habits, our sinful patterns, our sinful attitudes, and we never even move. We don't even try to change. And if that is you this morning, then hear me very carefully, friend. Repent. I mean, fall down on your face and weep bitter tears. If you are willfully living in a way that is against God's will for your life, repent. Peter ran off into the darkness and he wept because he knew the magnitude of his own failure. He understood the depths of his sin and that was a good place for him to be in that moment. On Thursday night, Then came Friday morning, Jesus died on the cross, and Friday night, Saturday night, Jesus is there in the tomb, and then then comes Sunday morning, right, with all all the confusion and the excitement, because Jesus, he's alive now, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that Jesus actually appeared to Peter. I wonder what they said, don't you? And Peter, I'm sure he's glad that his friend Jesus has risen and that salvation has been accomplished, but I wonder, I wonder if Peter still remembered his failure. I wonder if that question still lingered in the back of his mind. Man, after how I let him down, after what I did, after who I've become, could he really still use me? Which is why I love John chapter 21. Because here in John chapter 21, Peter comes full circle. We just saw the scene. Peter, he's back out on the lake. He's in the Sea of Galilee, and he's fishing on his boat. And he's fished all night, and he hasn't caught a thing. That sound familiar? We'll pick it up in verse four. Here's what happens. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? (laughs) Which is exactly what I want to hear after I'm grumpy from fishing all night. (laughs) No, they answered, putting it nicely. I wonder what other words John omitted. (laughs) He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the nets because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. After a long night of empty nets, it's like Luke chapter 5, deja vu all over again. There's this miraculous catch all of a sudden, and now, 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 without a doubt, Peter knows who that guy is over there standing on the beach, and he gets so excited to see Jesus that he barely gets his britches on before he dives into the water and swims all the way to the shore, and he comes up out of the water, and he's dripping wet, and he runs over, about to give Jesus a bear hug, and then something stops him dead in his tracks. Verse 9. It says, when they landed... They saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now notice, this is not your ordinary beach fire of driftwood or straw or cattle chips. This fire has the distinct aroma of charcoal. 
John chapter 21 says that Jesus has built an anthrakion. It's a charcoal fire. This is the second use of the word, the only other use in the whole gospel. Maybe when that smell hit Peter's nostrils, it gave him pause. Because look what happens in verses 11 and 12. It says, so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And so they ate. Interesting that Jesus makes a charcoal fire here, isn't it? I don't know how Jesus got the fish, if he went fishing, if he made the fish appear out of thin air. I don't know how he got the fish, but Jesus didn't have to make a fire to cook those fish, you understand. He could have just gone, cooked fish, voila, you know, easy as that. And yet he decides to, to make a fire, a charcoal fire, an anthrakion. Why? You know, scientists tell us that of our five senses, smell is the one that is most closely linked with our memory. And so with that smell, you can imagine that Peter is instantly transported in his memory back to another charcoal fire a few nights ago where he denied his Lord not just once, not just twice, but three times. After breakfast, Jesus pulls Peter aside, verses 15 through 19. It says, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, notice, Jesus doesn't call him Peter calls him Simon. That's his pre-apostle name. That's, that's his birth name. I've heard it said before that the only reason we have a middle name is just so we can know when we're really, truly loved and when we're really, truly in trouble, you know? <laughs> and here Peter is really and truly loved. Listen to me. Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, he calls you by your name. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and somebody else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Listen, this is no accident. Three times Peter denies Jesus around a charcoal fire, and now three times Jesus commissions Peter around a charcoal fire. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. It's as if Jesus is cupping Peter's chin in his hand and lifting his eyes to meet his. And he says, Peter, Peter, I know you love me. I love you. Peter, don't you see? The fire of failure has become the fire of forgiveness. I'm not finished with you yet. And that's what he's saying to us, church. 
Steve said it to us last week, God has saved you so that he can send you. The grace that covers you is now grace that compels you. And that was the truth for Peter. Peter went on to preach the first Christian sermon. He went on to lead the early church. He went on to write two books of the Bible. He went on to be killed for his allegiance to Jesus. In fact, tradition tells us that in the year AD 68, when Peter was executed by the emperor Nero for preaching Jesus, Peter said that he wanted to be crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy to die in the same way that his Lord did. This guy became the rock. So here's the message for you today. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, if you're still in the boat and you've been fishing all night, but your nets are empty and your failures are still haunting you, then I want you to see that man on the shore who's calling your name. And, and, and when, when Peter saw Jesus there on the shore as the sun was coming up, you know what Peter didn't say? He didn't look around at the other disciples and say, oh man, is that him? You think he sees me? I don't, I don't think I can face him. And I've, I've been messing up a lot lately. I denied him three times. Yeah, Peter, we know, buddy, we counted. <laughs> no, 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 no. He jumps into the water. He should have been the last one out of that boat, but he was the first one because he knew something about Jesus. He knew that we serve a God, as Psalm 103 says, who does not treat us as our sins deserve. So if you're hanging around saying, I gotta clean my life up a little bit, I gotta get it put together. Once I get my mess together a little bit, then, then I'll come to Jesus. Then I can get closer to him. Knock it off, jump out of the boat. Come to Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus today, but you're still coming face to face with your failures. And you think, oh, maybe, maybe you're just too far gone. Maybe you've messed up too much. Maybe you're damaged goods. Yeah, sure, maybe God could forgive you, but could he really still use you? Then if I could put my sermon in a sentence for you this morning, it'd be this. The place of your great fall can become the place of God's great call. The place of your great fall can become the place of God's great call. So I want you to take this piece of charcoal, I want you to take it back, put it on your desk, on your dresser, wherever you need to put it every single day so you can remember that your failures are not final and that God still has a call on your life despite your failure. It's fun watching the Olympics, isn't it? I, I, I've enjoyed watching the Olympics and I think the Japanese people are so fascinating. I love just like the, the gracious like kind of art that they do. And there, there's a Japanese form of art called kintsukuroi. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but it's called kintsukuroi, right? And, and the word means golden repair. It's the art of taking a broken piece of pottery and restoring it. I think we have a picture for you here. And, and instead of trying to hide the fractures, they actually cover the fractures in the pottery with gold. They're not trying to hide the brokenness. They're trying to highlight the brokenness because maybe, just maybe, it's the brokenness that makes it beautiful. I think it's interesting that the Bible tells us that even after Jesus rises from the dead and he's in his resurrected, glorified, eternal body, he still has his scars. We do too, don't we? And this is what God does. We don't hide our scars, we highlight them because it allows the beauty of the gospel to shine through. This is what Paul said. He said that God uses our weakness, our vulnerability, our scars to highlight his power and glory. God says to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, hey, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul says, therefore, I'm gonna boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. God wants to make you a trophy of his grace. And it only happens when we let our brokenness come out, right?
The place of your great fall can become the place of God's great call. And we believe this so strongly that God has a call on your life. And if you don't know what it is, come talk to us. We wanna walk with you to find out God's call on your life despite your fall. And I've seen it happen. God did this with Charles Colson. You might recognize that name. Charles Colson had a high profile career in the White House. He was an advisor to the president. He had power, he had influence, but that president was Nixon and then came Watergate. And Charles Colson ended up in prison. Talk about the fire of failure. He thought his career was over. And in one way it was, but his calling was just beginning. And he served his time. And during that time, he became a follower of Jesus. And when he got out, he felt the call on his life to serve other men who were still behind bars. And so Charles Colson started the Prison Fellowship, which is now the largest prison ministry in the world. The place of his great fall became the place of God's great call. I've seen God do it with my friend Juliet Rose. Juliet was born into addiction. Her mom was an alcoholic. Her dad was a drug addict. Her stepdad molested her over and over and over, and she was utterly alone. So at the age of 16, she dropped out of school and she fled to Las Vegas where she survived as a prostitute on the streets. And that chapter of her life ended with her being beaten up and robbed at gunpoint and left for dead there on the side of the road. And then, then things got really bad because by the age of 32, she was making and selling meth. She'd been married three times, and her, her two kids, ages four and eight, were taken from her when the drug task force busted down the door and arrested her for the ninth time on 11 felony charges. And for Juliet, that was just rock bottom. She's broken, she's done. Talk about sitting around the fire of failure. She felt like she was in it. And so she fell on her face before God, and she said, all right, Lord, finally, okay, whatever it takes. I'm gonna serve you. And so over the next eight months, Juliet surrendered her life to Jesus. She turned her back on the drugs and on the alcohol. She got her boys back. I went to high school with her son. And then Juliet didn't just get healed from the fall. Then she heard the call. God said, hey, Juliet, I'm going to use your brokenness to show off my beauty because there's other ladies who need to hear that story. And so Juliet enrolled at Ozark Christian College, and she graduated with a degree in psychology and counseling. And listen, I have never in my life met somebody more joyful in the Lord than Juliet Rose. And today, Juliet leads a faith-based residential treatment program for women who are trapped in addiction. The place of your great fall can become the place of God's great call. And your story may not seem that dramatic. You may think, yeah, well, what about me? Did you have a perfect week this week? <laughs> Anybody else sat around the fire of failure this week? I did. Might not seem dramatic, but maybe you snapped at your kids. Maybe you were selfish with your spouse. Maybe you cut some corners at work. I don't know what it is, but whatever your fall was, there's an opportunity for a call. There's an opportunity for repentance to bring your brokenness to the surface and to let the beauty of the gospel shine through. The place of your great fall can become the place of God's great call, and God has a call for you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, thank you for knowing us. Just like you looked out that window at Simon as he betrayed and denied you, how many times have we done the same thing, Lord? And you saw it. And yet you went to the cross and you rose from the grave and you're not just forgiving us, but you're calling us and you want to use us. Not because you have to. Peter brought you those fish on the beach. You didn't need them. You had your own fish for breakfast but you invited him to bring his anyway. 
And we thank you that you are calling us to help you in the work that you are doing. And so I ask for my brothers and sisters here in this room that you would speak very clearly, that you would give them ears to hear, and that they would hear your call on their life. It may not be something big and dramatic, but just today, one simple step you're calling them to, Lord. And we are not ashamed of how broken we are because your power is made perfect in our weakness. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. It's our desire to help you grow as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church, would like to attend an online service, or plan an in-person visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you'd like to receive our podcast directly to your device, we encourage you to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.